it's important tonight to just continue to stay in this same sequence and order of events, but I want to begin by first saying to my good friends, pastors Bethany and Tony Winkler, thank you so much for hosting Overflow. Thank you for giving me a chance to be here with you, with your family, your church, and uh, this incredible group of people over the last five times that we've been together to see all the wonderful things God has done. I know many of us are probably a little weary, a little tired. We're all working during the day, making church at night. I'm not getting in bed till one or two o'clock in the morning when I leave here. So I just am looking forward to ending tonight on a, a high note. I feel like something is, is stirring a little bit to kind of go back to where we began on the first night. And so before I get ahead of myself in that first night, or the first morning, I guess I should say, because it was a Sunday morning, we, we, we talked about Abram sacrificing or surrendering or yielding and giving up his, his Isaac. I'm going to go back to Abraham and Isaac tonight, come at this story from a little different angle and talk about some other yielding, surrendering aspects of that story feel like we need to go back there tonight because over the past five gatherings that we've been together, the four days we've been together, we've seen tongues, interpretation of tongues, we've seen sound Bible teaching and preaching, the balance, the gifts of the Spirit to bring our understanding up to speed with what God's doing. We've seen children as young as seven, eight, nine years old baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. We've prayed for people with, with, with cancer when doctors there said it's inoperable. We've seen young ladies get free, step into their callings. I, I remember specifically in worship one of the times the last four or five days we had 15 people give their life to Jesus at the very beginning of the gathering. And so we've seen God do some wonderful things. I want you to know, Pastor Tony, I agree. Not only have I been trying to take better care of me, eating, diet, stress, health, family, marriage, but I believe the prayer leading up to overflow has really uh, helped us hit tables. And so in the years ahead, I would really encourage you to continue to do that because, Lisa, I would say this has probably been every night just God's just done something unique, something new. It's been really, really great. Well, since you've been doing that, God, I know you got a few leftovers. No, no, no. God don't have no leftovers in heaven. God, I know you want to do a new thing. You got something brand new for us tonight, something that we all need in our lives. And I really feel like over these last days that we've been together, God's done all these cool things that, that God wants to kind of end where we began. And so tonight as we go back to that familiar story with the patriarch Abram, his son Isaac, and that releasing of his son, that surrendering, I started us off tonight by just trying to lodge a thought in your heart, in your mind that we all grew up here and we just need to let go and let God. Has anybody really ever struggled, Brandon, I hate to call you out, put you on the point and on the spot, but have you ever really struggled to let go? You know, something about me is, is I get fixated on things. Anybody get fixated on things? So today I was riding the tractor. You don't want to hear about my deer stand work and bush hogging and all that. And I won't bore you with it, but it's therapeutic for me. And I just got lulled to sleep in that diesel rhythm. And I was just almost finished. And I come close to a box stand that I just bought and built last year. 
And I, I was, it was on the last lane that I was cutting, and it's a wider bucket than my tractor was that I was borrowing or that we had rented and lined up. And when I come through there about half the seat, all of a sudden I saw my deer stand start moving. And I thought, what in the world is going on? And that bucket had caught the one side of the ladder, destroyed the ladder, moved the deer stand crooked. It wasn't square anymore, and I was just fixated. I was not thinking about overflow anymore. I wasn't thinking about God's word. I wasn't thinking about bush hogging anymore. I wasn't thinking about getting all the grass off of the filter and making sure the tractor was running cool. I was fixated on how to get those blocks back under those legs, get it back level, get the blocks covered up with bushes, get the spray paint. I was back in deer stand mode. Just got fixated on it. The truth of the matter is I'm not talking about deer stands and unlevel legs on deer stands. I'm talking about just getting fixated on things. For me, oftentimes when I try to let go of something, it's like the harder I try, the more focused I become on it and I get fixated on it and I'm never able to let it go. So I never really understood when grandma or grandpa or pastor or mentor or friend or big brother would say, you just need to let go and let God. And I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Has anybody ever really honestly wondered what does that mean? What do you mean let go and let God? I think what people are trying to tell us is there's just some things in life that only God can do. And it's best for us to just let those kind of things go, try to get un fixated with them and let God take care of it. I think what they're trying to tell us is, is there are some things that God has committed to our hands that we need to be doing, but there's some other things that we need to learn to commit to his hands and just let him be doing it. Now, here's what I've discovered being 40 years old today. If a day goes by, I'm not as fixated. If a week goes by, I'm totally not as fixated. If a month goes by, I will forget it and move on. But the hardest thing for me is to take the first hour and get off of it. I'm just talking about tonight, maybe if there are some things in your marriage that you're fixated on. If there's some things in your walk with the Lord that maybe you're just fixated on. Maybe there's some things in your finances that you're just fixated on. Maybe there's some things in your sobriety, in your future, in your life, in your church's future, in your church, that you're fixated on that you would better serve yourself and the cause if you would learn to let it go and let it go. If you and I would learn to be better surrenderers and better yielders. Pastor Tony, thank you so much, Pastor Bethany, for letting me be here tonight. Thank all of you for being here, all five of these times that we've been together. I am John Skipworth. I am the lead pastor of Rochester Assembly in the upper Midwest, great city, Rochester, Minnesota. They're going to flash up a picture here so you'll see my precious little family who I am excited to get back to and to see tomorrow. That's my wife, Brooke, now of nine plus years. We've been together almost 10 years. She's the best part of everything that I am. She's everything that I'm not. She's my best friend, my builder upper, my humbler, the mother to my children, my soulmate, my best friend. And I'm just so grateful that she stays with me, puts up with me, and helps me grow. Those two little girls are our children. Below us, our daughters, that's Finley under my arm. She's actually the oldest. She's not the biggest anymore. The other little girl under my wife's arm is our middle daughter. Her name is Fisher. Finley is six and Fisher is four. And now Fisher is bigger than Finley at four than Finley is at six. And then that little bundle of joy and love in my arms that I can't wait to get back to tomorrow. 
He can't talk yet, but he yells all day long. He just yells and screams and points, and he does sign language. Brooke is teaching him to do sign language. So if he wants something, he starts saying please and more and thank you, and he's just a mess. Anyways, that's our son Foster, and I'm excited to get back to them and see them tomorrow. I just discovered over the years of my life in ministry, it's a little bit easier for people to know a little bit about you and then to receive the word from you if they know a little bit about you than not knowing anything about you and never receiving the word from you. So tonight, with all of those preliminaries out of the way, not that who I am really amounts to a hill of beans, I just want you to know a little bit about who I am and what we do, where we serve And I want to give honor to your pastors. If you have your Bible tonight, I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, I believe the ball has been teed up for the rest of our time here this evening. And all of the preliminaries, formalities are out of the way. And I want to begin talking to you for the next few minutes with a life message. A life message. A message that I live. This is, again, the overflow of my life. It's the overflow of my heart. It's a message that I continually remind myself of. And it's a message tonight that I want to share with you out of intimacy from my heart to yours. It's titled, it was titled years ago, but it's a text that I always go back to. And every time I share it, it takes on a new shape. The title of this message tonight is The God Of. The God Of. What is he the God of? Is he the God of your finances, the God of your marriage, the God of your destiny, the God of your future? Why don't we look to the Bible and see just what he said he is the God of? Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Mendia, and he led the flock on the backside of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him there in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush, so he looked. And behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and I will see this great sight. Why this bush that is on fire is not consumed and is not burned. So when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to look, in other words, God realized he had gotten Moses' attention. God began to call to Moses from the midst of this burning bush. And he said, Moses, Moses, I can just hear it now. And he said, here I am, Lord. You and I would have been like, I'm out of here, Lord. Verse number five. Then he said, do not draw near to this place, but take your sandals off your feet. Take your Uggs off your feet. Take your Timberlands off your feet. Take your Doc Martens off your feet. Take your Justin Ropers off your feet. For the place that you're standing, Moses, this isn't ordinary ground. This is sacred ground. This is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. And Moses, as you and I would have done, hid his face from the Lord there, for he was very afraid to look upon him. Now, I don't know how much of this book you are familiar with, but this book is called the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. It is the book for me. You know what Bible stands for? Basic instructions before leaving earth, right? You often have heard it said, well, when I was born, it didn't come with an instruction manual. Yes, it did. 
When I got a child and it was born, it didn't come with an instruction manual. Yes, it did. When I got married, the preacher didn't give me an instruction manual. He should have. This Bible, B-I-B-L-E, is the book for me. It is the basic instructions before we live earth that can speak to every relationship, every experience, every circumstance, every situation that we ever find ourselves in. I would encourage you to get more familiar with it. But this Bible is divided into two primary divisions. Even though I don't believe it's two books, I believe it's one book. It tells one synonymous story. But here in the West, in America, we would say there's an Old Testament, an Old Covenant, and there is a New Testament, a New Covenant. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there is a story told on the pages of Scripture there about God reaching in to Egyptian bondage and securing for himself a people, a people known as the Jewish people, a people known as the Israeli people. And in the Old Testament, when God reached in to Egypt, while the children of Israel were in bondage, they were building bricks, they were being beat with whips, they were under harsh oppression. It was much like your life, much like my life, while we were still in the bondage of sin. We had a cruel taskmaster, we were slaves, and we didn't even know we were slaves. But just like God reached into Egypt, God reached into your Egypt, He reached into my Egypt, He reached into your darkness, He reached into my darkness, He reached into my addiction, He reached into your brokenness, and by His marvelous grace, through His marvelous life, He reached in there through the hand of a deliverer, and He reached in and He brought us out of darkness into the light. He brought us out of addiction into freedom. He brought us out of brokenness into wholeness. He brought us out of poverty into prosperity. He brought us out and brought us in. The Bible tells this story how God reached in and the deliverer that he reached through at that time is also a prefiguring, a shadow of the deliverer that was to come. The first picture of this deliverer was a guy by the name of Moses and Moses is now married to Jethro's daughter who is a priest of India, he's out keeping Jethro's flock and out there wandering in the middle of the desert. He's actually 80 years old at this point. He burn, He walks by a bush that is burning and on fire, and when he walks by the bush that is burning and on fire, he says, man, this is a trip. This is spectacular. Why is this thing on fire and it's not consumed? He begins to hear the voice of God. God begins to call him, draw him, tell him, this isn't an ordinary burning bush. Take your shoes off, boy. Get your heart right. You're standing before Almighty God, I've got a purpose for you. Do you not know who I am, Moses? I am the God of your fathers. That's who he's the God of. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. So when Moses humbles himself, answers the call of the Lord, and says, I will obey you and go back and do what you've told me to do, Moses asked God one question. He said, oh, by the way, who shall I tell them sent me? Can I tell you what God said? Watch this. Same chapter, same story. If you were to go down a few verses, you would pick it up like this and hear this. The Lord God said to Moses, you shall tell the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, this is the God that sent you. And he also goes on to say to Moses in that telling of his name, that self-description of his name again, he says, this is my name forever. Somebody say, even in the New Testament, because the New Testament is a part of forever. 
forever. He says, this is my name forever. And listen to this. This is my memorial name to all generations. Does anyone know what a monument is? Anyone know what a memorial is? When you go visit your grandmother, who I want you to know isn't there, but you go back to a gravestone, a headstone, you go back to a marker, a monument. If you've ever been blessed enough to go to New York and to visit the 9-11 monument, a memorial, those people aren't there, but it's a place that we set up a memorial to memorialize them so that they can live on from one generation to the next. That on September the 11th, in that cruel year, that that plane flew into those two buildings and those people gave up their lives. They died, and we remember that day. Here's what God is saying to Moses. Number one, take your shoes off because this isn't an ordinary encounter. I'm almighty God and I'm about to use you. Get your heart right. Humble yourself. Moses answers the call and says, who sent me? And he says, tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob sent you. This is my this is my name forever. This will be my memorial name for all generations. Do you know what God is telling us? God is telling us if you ever get to wondering who he is, you need to revisit this memorial. You need to, if you ever forget what he's capable of doing in your marriage, if you ever forget, Brandon, what he's capable of doing in your heart, if you ever forget, Stacy, what he's capable of still doing with the rest of your life, if you ever forget, Jim, what he's capable of doing with the desire in your heart to do ministry and to be significant and to be successful, you need to go back to the place of this monument, the place of this memorial. It didn't say pull up a podcast. It didn't say go listen to Pastor John. It didn't say turn on the Internet. It said go back and visit this memorialized name of God to remind yourself of who he is. This needs to live on in your heart. Now, in just one chapter, I told you, every time I share this, it just takes on a different shape. In this one chapter, Exodus chapter 3, how many of you know when the Holy Spirit repeats himself, we ought to listen? When Jesus says, verily, verily, he's saying, listen here, boys, I'm about to repeat myself. Somebody said, well, Jesus never preached the same message. Yes, he did. What do you do with the scripture in the Bible that Jesus says, again, I say? <laughs> Sometimes we need to hear it again. The apostle Paul said... For you, it's tedious. I mean, for me, it's tedious, but for you, it's safe for me to repeat myself. Sometimes we need to rehear things. So in Exodus 3, God makes sure, and I'm going to pick up the pace. God makes sure that we know this is his name because he repeats himself. I am the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And oh, by the way, this is my memorialized name that will live on for eternity. And when you get to wondering and doubting, come back here. This is my name for all generations. So all I'm trying to build the precedent for you to see tonight is that this is still his name. So who is he? What is he the God of? He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. Then if you were to turn over to the second half of this book that we call here in the West in the American church, the New Testament, you would see on the pages of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 22 that the Lord Jesus Christ used this same expression when he said, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, you have all read what is said by God, that I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob, that God is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, if you'll give me a minute, I'll give you two great nuggets here that maybe you missed. When Jesus is being asked by the religious leaders of the day about the resurrection, he quotes this scripture. 
Most of us think, Derek, this is typical Jesus. What in the world is he talking about? Like the conversation's over here with A, and all of a sudden he done tripped out and he's over here with B or C. He just, what happened? You got ADD Jesus? No, you got to go a little bit deeper. What he's trying to say to the religious leaders of the day is the resurrection is real, boys. When God said he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he didn't say I am the God that used to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, no, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because all three of those boys are still alive. Proving that the resurrection is real. That you as an eternal spirit being will live in eternity somewhere. Did you ever know that? Secondly... What I want to point out is that Jesus quotes Exodus chapter 3, and now we find that every word is being established by two or three witnesses. So in Exodus, we hear this is God's name twice. Now in the New Testament, we hear Jesus, the word of God made flesh, written in red, say that this is his name. He is the God of. I'll stop badgering the point, belaboring the point, but you know every time when I do this, I'm going to get there. I just want you to know that he was the God of and he still is the God of. Number one, he's the God of Abraham. Now, we could study Abraham's life from every different angle and all of us in here could take away revelation, rhema from the word, and bring meaningful, relevant truth from the Bible that would, that would impact all of our lives in profound ways because that's what the word is intended to do. But this is just my revelation. This is just my understanding. And I believe that what God is really saying when he says, I am the God of Abraham, is I think he is saying, I am the God of a yielded life. Yielded life. Now, I've stood up here and been a good boy behind the platform most of the nights, and I didn't run too many people crazy other than sticking a microphone in my back pocket and making the cameraman drink Red Bull to keep up with me. But tonight, I'm going to do it a little bit different. I want to get down on your level and be a little bit more personal because this is the last opportunity I get to be with you before I go, and who knows, maybe a year or two. God said two times in the book of Exodus, this is who I am. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And then Jesus comes back and quotes that. He says, that's this is my name. And I think those names actually are telling us something about who God is and what God will do. The first one, I am the God of Abraham. I believe what the scriptures are teaching us is that he is the God of a surrender. You say, show me Abraham's surrender. I want to ask every one of you in this room. I recently just experienced this. I said I would never preach this flippantly again in my life. That's why I'm slowing down. Has anyone in this room ever received a call from God that said, get up, leave your mama, leave your daddy, leave your brothers, leave your sister, leave your land, Leave your home, leave your family, and go to a place that I will show you, a land that you don't know nothing about. Has anybody in here ever received that call? I have. And I said after I walked through that, I'm human, but after I walked through that, the best of my human ability with God's help 
trying to obey God, trying to follow him, trying to do a good job, trying to be obedient, trying to serve, trying to love, trying to keep my heart right, keep my marriage right, keep our children right, be uncompromising in preaching the gospel. As I walked through that season, I said I would never come back to this text and preach it like, oh, God called Abraham out of Ur of Mesopotamia and make it seem like it was easy. It wasn't easy. This was his daddy's house. This was the only place he ever lived. This is where his friends were. This is where his home was. This is the only thing that was familiar to him. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice that he's never heard before that starts gnawing at him and nagging at him and won't leave him alone and says, get out of this place. Get away from these people. Go over here to a land you don't know nothing about, to a people you don't know nothing about. And Abraham, in my opinion, was struggling to yield. Struggling to yield. Has anyone ever struggled to yield? I see they're bringing the roundabouts down here. They're everywhere in the Midwest. No more stoplights. Roundabouts. Have y'all got the roundabouts here yet? Oh, they coming. They in West Monroe everywhere. When you pull up at a roundabout, Padna, you better know how to yield. If you pull up to a roundabout, you liable to meet a century-ready mixed concrete truck doing 40 up on two wheels going through that roundabout. You'll learn real fast what it means to yield. None of us like to yield. Pull up to a roundabout, I pull up to them, and I just, I think it's a green light. I'm in my big F-250. Nobody in Rochester has a truck like me. I go to the country club to play golf, and the guys that are teeing off, I believe it's on the eighth hole. They're teeing off on the eighth hole, and I got to come up this big hill to get up to the country club. And the team, every time that diesel goes up that hill and that turbo kicks in, I got this great man. They just turn and look. They drop their golf clubs and start look like I'm about to take off. I get in that big truck. I pull up to the roundabout, and I'm like, ain't nobody messing with me up in this roundabout. Yeah, I'm driving this big F-250. Somebody said, when you going to get a Kia? I said, never. You could save gas. I said, but I'd have to stop at the roundabouts. <laughs> Nobody likes to stop. Even if you're in a Kia, you thought I was on a rabbit trail. Pull up at that yield sign. You don't, the cops sit in the bushes by the yield sign because they know you're not going to stop. I had a cop pull me over one day. I said, what I do, sir? He said, didn't come to a complete stop. I said, yes, I did. He said, son, that was a rolling stop. A rolling stop. You were still rolling. You thought you stopped. You kept going. That's called yield, son. That's not called stop. Nobody likes to yield. Nobody likes to yield. And sometimes pastor says, no, Bethany, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And you say, even though you're the pastor, even though you're my husband, <laughs> April, don't make me mess with you. I don't even need the spirit of the Lord for this one. Just kidding, Lord. I need. John says, we're going to Vicksburg. April says, we've been all five nights. It's a long ways. We don't get home. He says, you got to yield, honey. I pay the bills. <laughs> Dumbest words any man's ever said. I learned that like four years into marriage. I come on. I thought I paid the bills in here. And she said, you're going to pay the bills in a, in a different house. She said, you're going to pay two sets of bills then. <laughs> oh, let me yield. 
Nobody likes to yield. God calling Abraham out of Ur. He's calling him out of every he's calling he's calling him out of everything he ever knew. And and he he struggled with it so much. Are you ready for this? Go back and study Abram's life. Abram is not even the one that got up, gathered his stuff and left Calvary. You know who did? Terah. His father. Abram either told Terah, his dad, about the voice, told his dad about the calling and, and the struggle with it. And Terah, the scripture says, got up, got together, got together Lot, got together Sarah, and got together Abram, and he led them out. Says Terah led them out. Abram was struggling. He didn't want to yield. And then here's what I love. Here's what I love. He led them out to Haran. Terah led them out to Haran. You want to know what Haran means? Halfway. He led them out halfway. He went halfway with the call of God. Anybody ever been halfway with God? Anybody God ever said, I need you to do this, this, and this? And you said, but what if I do this, this, and that? I mean, would that work, God? Can, can we... Can we work a deal here? And then that voice keeps coming, keeps nagging. And what that voice is coming and nagging for you to do is to yield. Finally, are you ready for this? You want to know how old Abram is at this point? He's in his 60s. And the Bible says that Terah leads him out. They go halfway to Haran. And God never speaks again. And then when Terah dies, God starts speaking. And he says, Yoo-hoo. Abram, my callings are without repentance. I didn't forget that I called you to Canaan. You tried to forget, but I didn't forget. Now that, now that the, the, the water muddier is out of the way, now that, now that you won't defer to the father that I actually called you to get away from, he said, get away from your father. Get away from your father's house. And he took the father with him. How many of you have had God say, get, take, get away from some things, and you took it with you? <laughs> Was no sense in moving. You still had it with you. I could be very graphic, detailed right now. Anybody ever been addicted to booze? And you couldn't even get the bottle out of the truck. Anybody ever been addicted to IV drug addiction and you could you could fake and shake and act like you was going to do right. But you you had that one needle stuffed in a sock drawer somewhere that you could not get rid of. Because you knew you was it was going with you. So he gets out. He goes halfway. And all of a sudden God says, hey, I didn't forget. Woohoo! Canaan's this way, big boy. And so what we start seeing is Abram starts yielding a little bit more, a little bit more. And at 75 years old, he steps the first soul into Canaan land. And he steps into Canaan land. And when he's in there sleeping at night, Robert Charles, God starts speaking to him again. Because now the water muddier is out of the way. The halfway committal with God is out of the way. He's in there sleeping in the tent at night. And he starts hearing that voice saying, Abram, get up. 
Get out from under your ceiling. Get out from under your tent. I wish somebody in this place today would hear the voice of God saying, get out from under the tent of mediocrity. Get out from under the tent of what other people said you would do with your life. Get out from under the covering that people said would be your ceiling always. What if God was saying tonight, that ceiling was actually your floor, that God intended you for more, that God had something better for you, greater for you. He's calling him, get out from under that tent. He says, come out here, get out from under that tent and take a vast gander up in the sky, all these galaxies and stars. Look up here, broaden your horizons, expand your view and your vision. He goes out there and he begins to tell him, through you, there'll be a seed. Through you, you'll have a son. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Could you imagine being Abram? Now I'm in a land that I don't know. I've lost my father. This same voice is nagging. This voice is telling me things that I don't understand. And Abram once again gets in the position of attempting to yield. Does anyone know the rest of the story? He's 75, 76, 77, 78. And he's being faithful to his wife, Sarah. He's trying to produce a son. He's being intimate with his wife, having intercourse, and there's no son coming. And finally, one day, he's so bitter, he's so dejected, he's so upset that finally, Sarah says, why don't you just take my servant girl? Maybe this promise from this nagging voice that you're trying to fulfill in your own power. Maybe God didn't mean it's through me. Maybe it's through her. You say, how do you know that came from Sarah? Because listen, ain't no woman. <laughs> and I don't care, Old Testament or New, going to say go sleep with her. Unless you acting pitiful. You're going to have to be doing a whole lot of pout and a whole lot of mully grub and a whole lot of walking around like Eeyore. She's like, ah, just go with her. Now, I don't want to be crude or graphic, but you do know it took a whole lot of arm twisting for Abram to do that, right? <laughs> like Sarah, you 90, she 15. <laughs> Come on, Abram, you're going to have to. He, all right. I'm just making the Bible's just real book. She was a 15, 16, 17 year, 18 year old servant girl. All of a sudden, Abram's in. I know I'm making it funny, lighthearted, but but I want you to see Abram's trying to yield. But every time he tries to yield, it's like you at the roundabout. You confuse the gas pedal with the brake pedal. Where God was meaning for you to hit the brake and come to a complete stop and yield it, your foot got confused, dyslexia, and you hit the gas. Now, well, it wasn't but three miles an hour, but God said you're not yielding. You're still rolling. You're still going. You're still driving. You're not yielded to me. And all of a sudden, at 76 years old, he looks up and Hagar, his maidservant, who his wife Sarah is pregnant, and out comes a Ishmael. A child of the flesh, a child of his own doing. And he says, okay, got it. Got my boy. Woo! We in business now. I wish I'd have thought about getting a cricket sound on my iPhone. I don't want anybody make a cricket sound? I don't even know what a cricket sound is. 
13 years, God goes crickets on him. Go study the book. I've already studied. God don't speak to him again. You're not yielded. More wasted years. More years of, of, of fruitlessness. Years that Abram's trying to do his own thing in his own strength, in his own power. And so finally, the division in his house gets so intense that he has to put out the child of the bondwoman. He has. He prays. He weeps. Oh God, bless him. Make him a nation. In case you don't know this, Ishmael had twelve sons. Ishmael was blessed by God, and he did. Thirteen years of that. Don't you know Abram sitting in there at night, at like two in the morning, going. He's sitting in there going, oh, I know he's going to talk to me tonight. And it's crickets. Thirteen years goes by, and finally, he says, God, what do I do? And God speaks to him the first time in 13 years. He says, put out the child. Stop leaning on your own strength, on your own intellect, on your own ability. You got to let go. You got to put, you got to surrender. You got to yield. You got to let me drive again. Somehow I got in the passenger seat. intending for you to get on the brake and come to a complete stop, but you kind of came to a rolling stop and kept coasting. And all of a sudden, when Haggai goes out and takes the son, God spares the son. They don't die in the wilderness of starvation or thirst. He blesses him. He becomes a nation. You believe? You want to know what nation? The Islamic nations of the world today. Ishmael is their forefather. The same with all three monotheistic religions. Monotheistic, the worship of one God, the world three monotheistic religions only have one thing they agree upon. Number one, that there's only one God, or excuse me, two things, and number two, that Abraham is the father of all faith. Abraham is believed to be the father of the Christian faith, he's believed to be the father of the Islamic faith, and he's believed to be the father of the Jewish faith. Now, I'm not endorsing Judaism or Islam. I'm just telling you, that's the generations, that's the descendants of Ishmael. Finally, when Ishmael goes out and God spares his life, Abram is 99 years old. And he has a visit one day. And this visit is God. And God walks up and says, this time next year, you will have your son. You finally have gotten your blessing. From 75 to 99 years old. And Sarai, who is 90 years old, hears the angel when she's in there cooking them some food. And, and when he says, you're going to have, Sarah's going to have a child. She, <laughs> silly guy. What does he know? I'm 90 years old. He says, oh, by the way, you're going to name him Isaac, the child of your life, because you just laughed in the face of God. shows up pregnant. Abram is 100 years old, 25 years to get yielded. Now, who do we call Abram? He's the father of what? Father of what? Maybe his faith isn't as paramount as you think it is. 
Maybe his faith looked more like your faith than like my faith than you thought it did. Maybe his faith was full of good days and bad days, maybe upturns and downturns, maybe times where God was speaking and he was obeying and yielding and maybe times where God was speaking and he wasn't yielding, maybe times where he was hearing the voice and maybe times where God went. with God right now first thing I would ask is are you real you say I don't hear from God well here's my question for you what would what you do with the last thing you told God well I mean he ain't talking to me right now well he ain't gonna talk because you didn't do what he told you to do the last time he talked to you I need God to give me a fresh word but you didn't obey or act on or write down or even record the last word somebody that'll value what he says, that'll obey what he says. Just talking about being yielded. Listen to this voice. You want me to show you when he got yielded? I'll show it to you in the book. Romans chapter 4 begins at verse 17. This is the apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed in God, who gives to, or excuse me, in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they are, who contrary to hope, Abram in hope believed, so that he did certainly become the father of many nations, according to the word, the promise that had been spoken to him, so shall your descendants be as the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. Listen to this. And being not weak in faith, he was weak in body, he did not even consider his own body, he counted it as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and he also counted the deadness of Sarah's womb. Can I interpret a riddle for you that maybe you've never seen before? Can I tell you what that verse says? That verse says that his faith at 100 years old was finally fully alive and mature, that his body was fully alive. You know what that tells me? That sometimes human strength and faith can't coexist. Sometimes human intellect and faith can't coexist. That sometimes our own ability will run roughshod over the things of God because we think we can do it. We're connected enough. We're good looking enough. We're talented enough. We're gifted enough. We're, we're wealthy enough. But sometimes in life, we got to get dead. We got to get 100 years old maybe. Maybe our other aspirations have to die. Maybe our eyesight has to start failing. Maybe our health starts to deteriorate. Maybe our family relationships start to break down. And then when we no longer trust in the idol of self, in the idol of our own intellect, when we don't trust in the idol of our own ability, maybe then our faith in God really starts to grow. Our faith really starts to come alive. And we begin to believe God in hope even when it's contrary to all natural hope. When nobody else says it can happen, our faith starts soaring like the eagles because now we're out of the equation. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't save it. I can't restore it. I can't heal it. I can't make it work. But he can heal it. He can restore it. He can fix it. He can make it whole. And when he finally got to that place where he was dead, he was yielded. And all of a sudden, his wife showed up pregnant the next year at 90 years old, 100 years old with a child. So when he says, when he says, I'm the God of Abraham, what I really think he's saying is I'm the God. I'm the God and the power of unyielding faith. How are you doing at being yielded? 
how you doing at JDF? Listen, every night we come in here, we see people saved, we see people born again, we see people filled with the Holy Spirit. It's been wonderful. But all that can occur, and you can go right back out there and get in your truck, get back on your same cell phone, put the same cigarette in your mouth, put the same bottle to your lips, same needle in your arm, same crack pipe over your head, same girlfriend in your bed, same boyfriend on the other end of the computer, and you will go right back to what you had before any of this ever started because you're not yielded to the God of. The God of. Could I get you my, uh, my sweet friend? I, I mean, I'm telling you, we could go for a couple more hours because that's, that's number one, and there's honestly more in number one. And you typed all those notes for me. She looked at me today and rebuked me because she said she was up there typing your book. <laughs> one lady said, you know, sometimes, preacher, you have to experience other things to appreciate what you've got. She told me basically she liked Pastor Tony's preaching better than mine. That's what she told me. Praise God. Give a hand for Pastor Tony and his preaching. And his note-making, great preacher, 19 years, unheard of today. If you would help me, just a little humor. Turn the lights down, maybe put that piano music back on. Yup, piano music. I'll give you one more note. Can I tell you what kara means? Kara. It means delayed.
child of promise. Abram didn't produce him. God produced him. So when Isaac comes, you can leave the music playing. I kind of like that. Keep me mellow and make me focus a little bit.
Your love. 